Thank you, Pastor Eccles. Certainly it's a blessing to have this opportunity and privilege to come and be with you. You have your Bibles this morning? I'm assuming you do in a pastor's fellowship. Numbers chapter 11 is where we'll find ourselves this morning. And uh, my message can be shortened a little bit. Thanks to Brother Fisher last night. He went over here during the mail. I thought, oh, 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 keep going, Brother Fisher. Don't, don't stop there. And he picked out a little bit of this. But uh, we'll have a look in here this morning. A little bit about myself. Again, my name is Randy Love. And uh, uh, I did not change my name to that when I entered ministry. Uh, had opportunity coming out of Bible college to be church planters up here in Jefferson City, Missouri. And uh, we went out, my wife and I just started knocking on doors and letting people know there was a new church that was starting up. And uh, one of the first doors we had knocked on, in the first week at least, a young lady about our age at that time in her early 20s answered the door and I'm introducing us. I said, hello, I'm, I'm Pastor Love. This is my wife, Julia. I got to that point and this young lady literally was standing at her door just laughing, not even getting, she was laughing. And uh, so I, I stopped and uh, paused and waited and uh, she then started to apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for that. And I said, well, okay. And she said, she said, can I ask you something? I said, sure. She said, is that really your name, Pastor Love? And I said, well, yes, it is. And she kind of giggled then a little bit. And she said, well, has that always been your name or did you change it to that when you entered the ministry? She asked me that. And uh, so I laughed back, understood what she was asking then. And I said, no, I've, I've always been a love. I was born a love. I've been a love. And then now I'm a pastor. And uh, so there's been a lot of fun with that down through the years in different ways. Uh, it's, it's a big name to live up to in a variety of ways. But I, I am now from Pittsfield, Illinois, where my wife and I have been for about six months in new ministry that God has given us at this stage of things after 33 years of ministry. Now all of a sudden we're there. And uh, I'm still surprised at the fact that we're there on a lot of days. Uh, prior to that, uh, I was... So I am a Missourian. I was thinking about this last night, Brother Eccles, having an independent Baptist pastor's fellowship. And then, so he's got Brother Fisher here, who's obviously California, and then pastor from Illinois, and then a pastor coming from Arkansas. And I thought, you know, all the brethren are thinking, well, I am born and raised in Louisiana, Missouri. Uh, so I am a Missourian. Uh, he mentioned last night my pastor who came to our church when I was in eighth grade was uh, Brother Charles Elliott, who many of you are familiar with. I thank God for him. I thank God that he brought him there when he did and the tremendous influence, impact that he had upon my life. Uh, is just immeasurable, and I thank God for him hundreds if not thousands of times down through the years. So there is some connection back to our home state. Uh, most of you I, I did not know, as Sid met Brother Eccles, his brother Chris, when we were on our tour together. Pastor Smith I've known for some years, uh, but uh, uh, pleased to meet the rest of you, get to know you a bit. As we look into our passage this morning, we come to Numbers chapter 11. I'd like to start here with uh, verse number 11, so Numbers 11 and verse 11. And the Word of God says this, And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore... come down a little bit. And God said, well, that's not the way the verse starts though, but it just seemed 
when I had all of that power right there, that's what I ought to be saying. But anyway, then spake the Lord God. But anyway, I think we're there now. Sorry about that. Here we go. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 11. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. Moses, the servant of the Lord, servant of God, as we wonderfully heard last night in that message, a pastor representative unto us as he led the congregation of Israel, uh, as God had appointed him to do so. The servant of the Lord, but in that verse we see the questioning that he has unto the Lord himself. Concerning what? Concerning the burden, he said, that God had put upon him. This morning I'd like to speak on that subject, that topic for all of us, myself included, the burden of ministry. The burden of ministry. Let's have a word of prayer, please, as we begin. Dear God of heaven, again, I am grateful for a new day that you have allotted unto each and every one of us. Thankful for the beautiful sunshine that we have this morning and the nice temperatures. Thankful for Pastor Eccles and the people of Calvary for hosting uh, this fellowship and this time that we can come together and in that have opportunity to fellowship, have opportunity to hear the Word of God uh, to be challenged from your word and to be encouraged by thy word. Thank you for what we've heard already yesterday evening, and I know how it's ministered unto me, and certainly uh, undoubtedly unto others as well. God, now in this day and in these opportunities this morning, I would pray especially now as I begin this day that Holy Spirit of God, I would have your unction. May you provide the thoughts and the words that are needful today for each and every one of us that thy will might be done, and the Holy Spirit of God can minister through His Word in our lives, and help us in the ministries that You have burdened us with. Lord, it's towards that end I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. The burden of ministry. Moses mentions that here in verse number 11 as he comes unto the Lord. The idea of the burden really in the context of the passage is spelled out for us in the typical way in which we carry uh, the idea of a burden. Uh, verse number 12, he even says, Have I conceived all this people? They were not his own children, obviously. Have I begotten them? Then he asks this, That thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them. When we think of the idea of a burden, we think of something that is being carried. And Moses, certainly at this time, as the servant of the Lord, the man of God, was carrying the burden of all of these people, as we find in doing our history with concordances and commentaries and whatever, approximately two million numbering the children of Israel as he's going to lead them forth out of Egypt and on that journey towards the promised land. Listen, that's a big congregation to have. And so when we look at that, and maybe sometimes in our lives, in our ministries, we give consideration, the church that God has brought me to, I don't know, we, we have a little more than 100 people on an average, I guess, uh, in that rural church that I'm now at, and, and uh, in comparison to a couple of million, that's pretty small, but I found out a long time ago, even in church planting, that even when you have just your first three or four, there's a burden in the idea of carrying other people on the journey that God has intended for them, and that's really what has led into this back in chapter number 10. We find the journey being spoken of, of God's children there. That journey, of course, we would look at it going from Egypt, representative of the world, the deliverance of God in their lives, which we could give a symbolic uh, reference to with the idea of their salvation that He wrought by His mighty hand, and certainly that's the only way any of us are saved, is by the hand of God and the power of God, according to the uh, Son of God coming into our lives and being our Savior. But God has intended for them on that journey 
journey to go then from Egypt and to get out of Egypt. And he's got that journey towards that promised land and that church, that congregation in the wilderness we heard about last night. Oh, I tell you what, isn't it interesting that we find out that as God had intended that, when Moses comes down and they're going to go from Mount Horb and they're going to make that journey to the border of the promised land, the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God tells us that it's about an 11 days journey. But hold on just a second. It took that group, that crowd, so to speak, and again, most of them didn't even get there, took them 40 years to make an 11 days journey. Well, in that journey, and of course, again, so much of last night tied in for where the Lord would have us be this morning, uh, but so much of that, it wasn't the fault of God. It wasn't even necessarily the fault, was it, of the leader that God had appointed over them and Moses, the fault of the people themselves and not being obedient unto God and the leadership that was being provided for them. I'm so thankful that Brother Fisher made that comment last night. We've heard it for most part of our lives, probably since the time we were in a Bible college. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And again, there's a great truth contained in that. But there is also, as I, I wholeheartedly concur with what he said last night, the fellowship as well. Uh, I follow and have followed sports for some time in my life and had an interest as a youth. And I've looked at that. Some of the people today, names, ooh, a name that I don't like to use because I don't, I don't care for him much, but uh, still uh, would have to give him his, his credits as far as coaching uh, would be Bill Belichick, the longtime coach now of the New England Patriots. And uh, you say, oh, look at this guy. He's, he's a great coach. They say maybe the greatest uh, football coach in uh, National Football League history and all this. Uh, yeah, but do you remember that he used to coach the New York Jets? And nobody was calling him the greatest coach ever then. And he used to coach the Cleveland Browns. And nobody was ever called. Uh, same guy. And, and probably he learned and adapted some things along the way from what he learned there. I understand that. But the same guy, the same mind, the, the same type and style of what he wanted. But it took the players who would adapt to his philosophy in New England in order for him to become. So it is. I agree with that. And there's, there's a secular illustration, I think, that maybe backs it up beside what we see in our Bibles. But here we are, the journey of God's children. Of course, they're going to bog down out there in the wilderness and even find themselves located in a place described as the wilderness of sin. And for us in ministry and the burden that we carry in ministry, Oh, isn't it interesting that God gives us a vision, so to speak, of what it is that He wants to see performed, what He wants to do, what He desires to do through our lives and our ministry and the places in which God has put us. And, and we can see the other side of that thing, and it doesn't seem as if it's all really all that far. We just need to, to bond together in unity, and here we go, and we're going to get there. And then, and then time passes, and, and we haven't arrived. We haven't gotten there, and, and some of our people have bogged down in that wilderness of sin, and some of them have been lost. They've been lost physically to death. Others have been lost spiritually and a, so to speak, spiritual death. I'm not talking about the loss of their salvation, but off, off back into the world. So often the children of Israel wanted to do what? They just wanted to go back. Oh, they were remembering the leeks and the onions and the, and the melons. And the, hey, hey, listen, you're going to a land that floweth with milk and honey. I think I'd have a preference over that, but they couldn't see what was ahead because they were constantly looking at that which was behind them. And we find that to be true in, in ministry, don't we? No matter how long we're at it. Been privileged of the Lord now, some 33 years of uh, ministry. It'd be 34, I guess, for my ordination coming up this July with Brother Elliot and some other pastors that day at Faith Baptist Church in Louisiana, July 26, 1987. Long time ago now. Opportunity to be a 
church planter in Jefferson City, as I mentioned earlier, but then beyond that to work in a Bible college setting as dean for seven years, and then the last 15 years out in the mountain state of Utah. And uh, 15 years, God blessed in a tremendous way. And then God says, okay, we're going to give you another move. (laughs) And we're going to take you out of the wilderness. One of my friends, Brother Yoder, Glenn Yoder, some of you might know Brother Glenn, said that God brought me back from the far country. (laughs) And and there, there might be some truth in that. And planted us in Pittsfield, Illinois. There's a bean field behind the church, cornfield across the street. I didn't have that in my church in Salt Lake City. No, no, it wasn't there. But that journey, the burden of ministry, we think of the idea of the burden there in verse number 12, the things that God gives us through the people that He appoints us over to carry. In verse number 14, and we saw this last night with Brother Fisher, I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. Carrying that burden of the leadership of all of these people that God had placed Him over. But you know what? The word burden, as we find it in verse number 11, means so much more than that. And really the primary meaning of the Hebrew word that is found here carries forth the idea of an utterance. That burden is an utterance. We get to the Old Testament prophets and those books of the minor prophets in particular, and we find the burden of Habakkuk and the burden and on down the line. And what is that? That was an utterance that God had given unto those men, and now they were repeating it unto the people of God. Thus saith the Lord. And really, that's what the word here is bringing forth for us in the idea of Moses. I know it's a burden, and he's speaking about it in the way we think of it. I'm shouldering this burden. I'm carrying this burden of all these people. But why was he doing that? Because he had had an utterance from the Lord. God had given him this calling, if I might call it that, in his life. You remember the calling of Moses, don't you? Well, it's probably similar to the calling that you had. I know it's not like I had, but out here somewhere at a, at a burning bush one day, uh, you heard the voice of God and he told you to take your shoes off. Now, some of you down in these parts already had yours off. He didn't have to tell you to do that. And uh, some of us, he had to tell us to take our shoes off and, and we were on holy ground that day. And what made it holy, it wasn't the place, or the location of it. It was because God was there and God was speaking to him specifically that day. And God was saying, this is what I want you to do. And he gave him that calling to this ministry right here. I don't know if Moses knew the extent of all of the burden that that calling that day was going to provide him throughout the course of the next 40 years of his life. I think he might have had an inkling, though, about that, don't you? Because he he tried to make some excuses and seemingly excuse himself from what it was that God wanted him to do, and God wouldn't let him do that. And Moses then surrenders, so to speak, that old idea. Oh, growing up, and here's Brother Elliot, and here are the preachers that would come into Faith Baptist Church, and they would, yes, they would preach on salvation of the Lord, but, boy, those old-timers would preach about surrender. Surrender your lives unto God. I'm glad I heard that type of preaching. I'm glad one day that I went forward at an altar at Faith Baptist Church as a young man and I knelt there that day and I prayed a prayer and I told God, I surrender today. You can have me for whatever you choose for me in my life. I literally prayed that day and said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do and I'll go wherever you want me to go. If I'd have had my desire in life, I would have stayed in Jefferson City all the way from the point we started that work in October of 1987 to today. But there came a point in time where God said, no, I'm... I'm through with you here. This is what I brought you here to do. That hurt me. But then God raised up a man who was my best friend to take over and has passed to the church ever since. To God be the glory. 
when God called me to go to Utah, I was like, Utah? <laughs> I didn't really know anything about Utah. I knew there were a lot of Mormons out there. Wolves have spent some time out there. They know all about that. Oh, but oh, what a, what a blessed life and ministry God gave us for 15 years. And, you, and then all of a sudden, God says, now I want you to, I want you to go again. I say, God, really? I, I was 55 when he was telling me that. I'm now already 56. I was comfortable in ministry. There was a good thing going. God had blessed in a variety of ways. The waters were all smooth, so to speak, in the church. Hadn't always been that way. But boy, they were smooth and everything was good. And, and now at the stage of life and ministry I was in, I could just settle back here and, and cruise this ship, so to speak, into its harbor. And God said, no, I've, I've got another plan for you. Whoa. <laughs> God took me back to that decision I made as a young man and reminded me, you said you'd do whatever I wanted you to do and you would go wherever I wanted you to go. Okay, God, here we go. Paul has told us in Corinthians, hadn't he? And I think sometimes we use it in reference to our own selves that God had chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, hadn't he? Can't tell you how many times in the years of ministry that I've looked at it for myself and opportunities I've had, including one like today, and thought, God, why me? (laughs) Why, why, Why this little boy who grew up on the banks of the Mississippi River in little old Louisiana, Missouri? Why, Why do you let me do this? And why do I get this honor or this privilege to do this for you and opportunities He's given to me? It's a high calling of God, and it's a great privilege, isn't it, that God would give us a calling. And with that calling, that utterance came a burden for us. Let's back up into the passage and see a few things as we move forward here this morning. In the beginning of the chapter, I'd like for us to first of all see the condition of God's people, the condition of God's People. Well, verse number one tells us this, and when the people complained. Oh, there you go. Now, that's probably never true for you in any place where you've served in ministry, whether it's been a short time or a long time. The people that you have have never complained about anything you've done or what God's trying to do. There's no complaining there. Well, you know what? The thing is, the Bible says this, and when the people complain. It doesn't say if they complained, did it? Uh, no, it's just a reality. Now, before I preach to all the people that are in the pews and aren't pastors today, us pastors need to kind of have a look at that too, don't we? Uh, those Monday morning blues, sometimes they might call it. And even as a young pastor, I experienced that pretty early on, especially in church planning. You know, my wife and I are out there knocking the doors. We're making all these contacts. We're seeing some people saved. And then they're all saying they're going to be there for the service. And then we'd go in. We were in the Best Western Motel in Jefferson City with a meeting room when we started. And, man, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm up early on Sunday. I can't wait to get there and see all of these people. And then three people show up. I didn't know any better. They didn't teach me this in Bible college. I didn't have to unlearn this part of things. But I, I just told my wife when the service got over, I said, you know, where were all of those people? And I didn't know that you're not supposed to go to their houses when they don't show up for church and knock on their doors after the service. And so we literally, we had gone over, hey, you know, and they're wiping stuff out of their, oh, hi, Pastor Love. Hey, we were worried about you. You weren't there. You said you were coming and you weren't there. And, uh, oh, I tell you what. Uh, they, I don't think they ever did come either after that. But anyway, oh, 
Yeah, and then that young pastor, all of that excitement, that zeal, that gusto, we're just going to preach the word, and people are going to be saved, and whoom, this church is going to be built, and then, and then, oh, there you are, literally, one time in our apartment, I'm just stretched out on the bed, oh, oh, it's me, you know, and uh, uh, the good wife God's given me, she just comes in and says, get up, <laughs> <You know? laughs> let's go, oh, yes. Oh, these people, one of the conditions of the people, first condition we find expressed in the Word of God is they were complaining. And notice the complaining we're told in verse number one, who it displeased, it displeased the Lord. You know, God doesn't like that. And the Lord heard it when they did it, and His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Now, you know this, we don't have time to go back. The history of the people and the nation of Israel, this congregation that Moses, this leader of God, the servant of the Lord, is bringing from Egypt to the promised land, these people have a history of doing this, don't they? I mean, they are complaining from just about day one, all the way through this thing. They found this to complain about and to murmur about this and murmur about that. Sometimes it is just of interest, the seemingly small things that they had to murmur and complain about and how quickly they would forget about what God had done even the day before. Yes. And, and, and now they're back to complaining. Well, the Lord heard that. We know in the Scriptures that we've been given, in essence, a command to do all things without murmurings and disputings, right? Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 15 of that passage in Philippians 3 also says this, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Hold on just a second. United States of America. Crooked and perverse nation. Hmm. Well, that might be applicable to right now, huh? Among whom ye shine as... Lights in the world. You and I, no matter where we are right now and where God has put us, God has put us there to be a light for Him into those communities, in our churches. And how are we going to do that if we find ourselves being pretty much like everybody else that we encounter, murmuring and complaining about this and that and the other? What they need to really hear about is the goodness of God, isn't it? And that God is still on His throne and God is still in control. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Condition number one of the people of God at this time is that they were complaining. Look at the second condition described in our passage. In verse number two, we're told this. And the people cried, and they cried, it says, unto Moses. Down in verse number four, a little past halfway, it says that the children of Israel also wept again. And down in verse number 10, it tells us, Then Moses heard the people weep. Not only were they complaining, they were crying. But this type of crying is like the crybaby crying that we think of. Could be due to the fact that in spiritual terms, they were still babes in Christ. They had not grown much in their faith. Isn't it of interest as you come along in ministry and spend some time that even some of the people who have been saved years and years and years in reality, based on the actions that you see from them, are still nothing more than a babe in Christ. Now, we don't go up and tell them that, do we? But certainly as pastors, as those that God has appointed and called to shepherd over them, we can see that. What are some of the characteristics of babies? Well, babies are very possessive, aren't they? Mine! 
<laughs> I think the first time I ever heard that word out of our little daughter's mouth so many years ago, we were watching Brother Golden's son. He's six months uh, younger than our daughter, and uh, his wife was doing something. They had brought Trevor over, and he and Tiffany were playing in our living room there in Jefferson City, and I had Tiffany's toys out there, and, and I saw Trevor kind of toddle over and grab a toy. I noticed this right away. It was a toy I had never seen my daughter play with up until that point. Never. I'm telling you, never. And as soon as Trevor picked it up, Tiffany gets up from where she was at and what she was playing with, empty-handed, went across the room, grabbed it out of Trevor's hands, and she said that word, mine, and she said it like this, mine! Oh, and Dad saw that, and guess what? It wasn't hers for long. <laughs> and it went back to Trevor, and little Tiffany got some discipline over that. But you know what? That's our nature, isn't it? For us in the flesh, and even as children, children are so possessive, and we would find that even at times the babes in Christ, oh, the burden that they bring upon us, because, wow, you're not just shouldering the number of people, but amongst the number of people, some of them are still babes in Christ, and, and those babies, well, they're possessive. Those babies are immature, aren't they? Oh, it's hard to give them, as Paul expressed over in Corinthians, the, or, or let's go back to Hebrews with that thought. Uh, hard to give them, well, in Corinthians, the meat of the Word. Uh, they're only good for the milk, and we like milk. I had a little bit of milk over at the hotel this morning uh, with the biscuit I, that I ate. Uh, but uh, you know what? I sure like the sausage on the biscuit even more than I like the milk at this stage of life. Yeah. Immature. Uh, they're usually unpredictable, aren't they? Yeah. And that's the nation of Israel at this time. The condition of the people of God, they're complaining, they're crying. Uh, in all of this, we find even in verse number 4, the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. They were still living the life in the flesh, not in the spirit. Even today, we would find those that do not walk in the Spirit, but still walk in the flesh, although they are the children of God. The two are the contrary, aren't they? The one to the other, so that they cannot do even the things that they would. Hmm. The condition of the people, complaining, crying, lusting according to their flesh and for the things that they had had back in Egypt, which again was picturesque of the world. But our focus here for the next few minutes, let's move down to God's man. What about the condition of God's man? That's the condition of, of God's people at this time. But what was the condition of God's man? Well, back to verse number 10. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and we saw and heard that earlier. But now notice the end of verse 10. Moses also <laughs> was displeased. Ah, oh, I know you've never been that way as a pastor in your church or in your ministry with your people, but I'm just going to be transparent enough this morning to say there's times I've been displaced. There's times I've been upset. There's times I've been unhappy. Sometimes it probably was just due to me because things didn't go my way and the way I thought it should work out and what I wanted done and maybe the vision that I had, which wasn't necessarily a vision that God had given, but it was one that I thought would really work and go really well. And then it didn't. And then I'd be displeased. But then sometimes just the displeasure and that displeasure over the people of God wasn't necessarily one that, that you just look at it and say they're, they're, they're so to speak good for nothing and all of that. It's a displeasure that comes because of the heart that we have for those people. And we want to see them moving forward. We want to see them get to the promised land. We want to see them get out of the wilderness and just keep going in circles in their lives and having a few of the blessings of God when He wants to give them many blessings. 
Moses, the man of God, we're told, was also displeased. And unfortunately, at times in our ministries, we might find ourselves, because we are human, we are men, we will find ourselves displeased as well. In verse number 11, we were told again, Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Moses was not only displeased, as he saw it, he was afflicted. Uh, Now, the idea of afflicted here, it's kind of an interesting word. It means to spoil. Now, he wasn't spoiled because he had this great congregation of two million people and everything was perfect and everything was great and they were just showering love on him. The word spoil here out of the Hebrew gives us the idea to spoil by breaking into pieces. Huh. Sometimes in ministry, the burden that we're carrying and the people that God has given us and called us unto seems like Seems like it's breaking us, doesn't it? I've been there. (laughs) I think some of you have probably been there. Just feel like you're coming apart. (laughs) How am I going to, how am I not only going to hold all of this together, how how am I going to hold me together? You ever find yourself, you just don't even know what to pray anymore. You've prayed over the situation for so long. You've tried to figure out if it's this way or it's that way. And there's no way if I do this, it's, it's, gonna, it's a, law, a lose-lose situation. If I do that, it's a lose-lose situation. God, I don't know what to do. Please, God. And you find yourself just sprawled out literally on the floor, weeping and maybe groaning in that spirit with only that which he could provide. And still get up off of that floor after some length of time and still not have an answer. To the glory of God, to see God in His time answer that situation as only it could have been answered with a way in which you would have never thought or dreamed would have happened. And immediately, I mean, just like He said, peace be still to the storm. I mean, boom! The whole thing, although it had lasted some weeks and into a few months, had been there just like that. It's all gone. But before that, God, I don't know how much more I could take. That's what we saw last night. Brother Fisher took us to verse 15, didn't he? If thou deal thus with me, kill me, (laughs) I pray thee. Out Out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight. The afflicted here. He felt as if he was being, isn't this interesting? He felt as if he was being punished by God for having to lead those people. May God help us. May God help me to never have that attitude with whatever calling it is that God gives us and where it is that God places us. It's an honor and a privilege to serve the Lord and no matter what capacity it is, I fully believe that. But the other that gave me opportunity as a young teenager to begin to start to serve the Lord in ministries at Faith Baptist Church. Started off as a helper in a King's Kids class. At one point, he then got me to help Mrs. Elliot, his wife, with the primary kids class, first and second graders. God was blessing the church. It was growing. It came to a point one day he asked me to come to his office to see him. To be honest with you, I thought I was in trouble. I didn't know what I was in trouble for, but I thought, oh man, pastor wants to see me. I sat down in his office and he said, Randy, he said, I'd like for you to take over the boys in the first, second grade Sunday school class and be their teacher. I looked at him, I said, Brother, you want me to do that? He said, yes, I've prayed about it. I said, well, there's some other guy. He said, no, I want you to do that. Listen, I, I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever been asked to do. 
He then told me, well, you know, uh, we don't have a room for you. All the rooms were being used in the facilities at the time. And he said, so uh, if you want, you can go uh, this, this uh, week, go up and clean out the furnace room upstairs and get all the junk that's in there out. Because for whatever reason in our churches, that's where we store all of our junk. Until the fire marshal comes by for an inspection, and then we make sure and get it cleaned out. Amen? He said, you can clean all that junk, all that furnace room. That could be your classroom starting up next week until we find something better. Enlisted the help of Brother Martin Fisher, a man in our church, and we got out there and we cleaned that out, and Sunday came, and I had my first lesson ready, and, and we went in there, and, and I taught that lesson, and uh, believe it or not, I, I know I was done in like five minutes. I looked at my watch, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? It was a long time until it was time for church and junior church. <laughs> Brother Martin had suggested that we do sword drills. I thought, oh, yeah, that's good. Let's do sword drills. And I called out the first Bible verse, probably John 3:16, and looked out like one boy had a Bible. That wasn't going to work. He's going to win every time. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought, okay, when I was their age, what was it that I liked to do? And, and I thought, well, I, I'm a boy. I, I liked activity. I liked doing it. I said, I tell you what, boys, what we're going to do now, we're going to stop the sword drills. We're going to have a push-up contest. Boys cheered, literally. Yeah! And so we got them out one by one, and we counted off their push-ups, and we crowned the push-up champion for our primary boys Sunday school class. And I looked at my watch. There was still time. But this was going great. I said, all right, uh, what else? Uh, hey, now we're going to have a setup contest. Yeah! And we got those little guys out there. And hey, boys that age, they can't even really do a setup. They're like doing the squirmy thing, you know, and, and pulling their arm. But anyway, we counted them. And finally, the time was up. And uh, Brother Elliot's back. Don't tell him I did that. I never told him that I was doing that in my class. <laughs> it wasn't long, though, before, yeah, I could fill, fill pretty much most of the time with the lesson. And taught that class for the last two years I was in high school. My senior year of high school, we're going, as we would do in towns like that, on the day of the uh, homecoming football game. School's out early, and we've got the homecoming parade going through the streets in Louisiana, Missouri, the main streets, Georgia Street, down to the riverfront. All the football players got their jerseys on, you know, and riding on back a big flatbed truck sitting on hay bales, and everybody's cheering and waving, and the school band's marching in front playing, standing on the back of that truck with our other co-captain of our team. I was privileged to be one, and Volte Bell was the other. We got near downtown Louisiana, and off to the side, we heard somebody yelling, Mr. Randy, Mr. Randy, hey, Mr. Randy! And turned, and there were three or four boys out of my Sunday school class. And they were so excited to see their Sunday school teacher up there on the back of that truck. A Volte, my friend, looked at me, he said, what's this Mr. Randy stuff? Why are the boys calling you that? And I said, a Volte, it's because I'm their Sunday school teacher. And they call me Mr. Randy. And all sincerity, I'm going to tell you this. If God had left me at Faith Baptist Church teaching those first, second grade boys through all of my life, it would have been an honor and a privilege. What he's allowed me to do since then is just incredible to me. But there's, there's no work. There's no work we do for the Lord that's a small work. Back to this so that I could finish that. He felt afflicted. He felt as if he was being punished. We're not being punished, but what God has given and called us to do. He was burdened about it. We saw that at the end of verse 11, didn't we? And we've already spoken about that. When you see the condition of God's man, we have three things that I've mentioned to you as I see it. He was displeased. He was afflicted. He was burdened. Easy way to remember that is dab, right? D-A-B. Displeased, afflicted, and burdened. When I looked at that and thought about that, I thought back due to my age and the age of some of you as well, the old commercial for Burl Cream, right? 
A little dab will do you. But this little dab will do you in, won't it? And it'll bring you to the point of where he was at in verse 14 again, where he said, I'm not able to bear all this people alone. And you know what? He spoke the truth for Moses and for me and for us. I can't do it alone. I need his help. And as we saw last night, God's going to see fit to give us and provide us help from other people as well, isn't he? Because it is too heavy for me. Sometimes serving God's people seems like it's an impossible task, doesn't it? Caring for the people of God is a lot of work. And there will be days in our ministries of stress. And unfortunately, there will be days of distress as well. But may we, in conclusion, see the comfort that comes and comes from God. In verse number 17, God had said this, and I will come down and talk with thee there. A promise of God unto Moses, I will come. <laughs> and it's a promise for Moses, it's a promise for me, it's a promise for you. In those times when we find the burden of ministry maybe is seemingly overwhelming us and crushing us, and maybe even we've gotten into a spirit, we think that God has punished us because of where He has placed us and the people He has given us to pastor and to shepherd and to love and to lead, then what I really need more than anything else, what I really need more than anything else is to just have a little talk with Jesus, right? And we know all of that and we preach that, but at times in my life I have to remind myself to practice that. So many years ago in our ministry there in Jefferson City, I found myself, oh, in this condition that the man of God was in here, it was due to a circumstance, a thing that had happened in our church, and it literally had broken my heart. I went off to a meeting, a, a preaching conference meeting, and I thought, what well, I'll get at the meeting, it'll, it'll charge me up, the fellowship with the brethren, the singing and the preaching, and I sat through the first day, when I left at the end of the first day, it was all good, mind you, but I wasn't any better. I went in the next morning, and in that morning service, Brother Bobby Robertson, who was mentioned last night, came out to preach the morning service, and he preached a sermon on clouds. And Brother Bobby talked about the clouds that will come into our lives, and that was exactly how I felt. I've had a big cloud over me for a long time in life due to this situation, in ministry due to this situation. Brother Bobby said, just hang in there because one day the cloud will move and the sun will shine again. And, oh, I was grateful for Brother Bobby, and I went to the altar and I prayed about that, but when I... When I left to go back to the room where I was staying, I still was carrying that bird, and I, I still knew I needed something else. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just try to take some rest. And I, I laid down upon the bed in that room, and I tried to rest, but all of the things and thoughts filling my mind wouldn't allow me to sleep. It wouldn't allow me to rest. And I finally got myself up, and I grabbed a Bible, and I took off on a walk, and I found myself near some woods, and I went down into those woods towards a lake that was there, and about halfway down that hillside towards that lake, I sat down in a tree. I started to literally cry and cry out unto God and empty out all of my heart and all of the burden that was upon it because of that situation. And, and then I took my Bible and I began to read, and eventually I found myself in Acts chapter 3, and I came to verse number 19, and it said this, that the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of of the Lord. And right there I realized that what I needed more than, than the preaching and more than the fellowship and more than the, the stirring singing and more than I needed anything else, I just needed the presence of the Lord in my life afresh and anew. And praise God, it, He came that day. Amen. At times in our lives when we're so burdened over the ministry that God has given us, it's time for us to find that place and to find that person, our Savior, 
And to have that time with Him, He's promised it. Aren't we familiar with David encouraged himself? How? When the people spake of stoning Him. My people have never done that. At least I don't know that they have. They might have behind the closed doors or on the text. I don't know. But when they spake of stoning Him, David encouraged himself in the Lord. The comfort from God as He gave a promise here in verse 17 is, I will come unto thee. The second part of that, in the middle of verse 17, we saw again last night through Brother Fisher, I will take of the Spirit which is upon me. God has given us the promise that He will come, and when He comes, we can have afresh and anew the filling of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, to be filled with the Spirit, His Spirit, so that we're not alone in the burden we're carrying, but that burden that maybe I've been carrying in physical strength alone is now carried forth in His strength which is really the strength that enables any of us to do what it is that He's called us to do. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And then, as we saw last night, and I don't need to reiterate then, God will provide helpers. He's going to give those individuals here now that all didn't follow through as Brother Fisher showed us, but He's going to give helpers. Even when they were in the midst of that battle, He did give Aaron and He did give her and they helped... Hold up the hands of the man of God so that the rod of God and the power of God was upon what they were doing. And aren't you thankful for those Aaron's and hers and your churches? That at times God has raised them up and they've just come along at just the right time and gotten under, so to speak, one arm. And somebody's gotten under the other arm and it's kept us going forward for the Lord, which is what God wanted His people to do here back in the prior chapter at the end of verse 28. When they set forward, God wanted them to go forward. Not in a circle. And God wants me to go forward. And God wants you to go forward. And God wants our works for Him to go forward. But at times, there's a great burden in that ministry, isn't there? And in those times, what do we need? (laughs) We need to have a talk with God. We need to serve Him. Make sure we're serving Him in the Spirit. And boy, this is a hard one sometimes. We need to ask for help. I'm not just talking about God's help. I have a problem sometimes asking people for help. Now that I am starting to get a little older, at 56, I find I need more help than I needed when I was 36 or even 46. Literally, in the minute, I need more help. Well, God's given us those helpers. And He's given them to us for us to use them for His glory that we might be co-labors together with God to the glory of God. The burden of ministry is real, isn't it? (laughs) But we've got a God who's given us that calling. And by that calling, He's given us that burden. And He will be with us if we will just look to Him and let Him help. Let's pray. God, again, I thank You for our day. Thank You for the opportunity. I pray that Your Word would minister as You've intended it to do. And I thank You for giving me this some time ago in my life an opportunity to share it with these dear brethren today. May we be exhorted, edified, and encouraged by it and that which is to come. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.